I'm reading from Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner, in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamon and to Thyatira and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and, and his eyes, sorry, his voice was, was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. 
what have I done? Uh, I hope I haven't bitten off more than I can chew. Uh, I, I realise that I've just created a lot of work for myself. And you guys who know me, you know that when I start preaching on a new series of a book of the Bible, that I'm not going to stop until I finish. Um, well, as I speak to you now, we've just begun a new series on Revelation. And there's 22 chapters to Revelation. So if we could do a whole chapter in a week, it would still take half a year for us to get through it, nearly. And I'm thinking, oh, man. And I know that we can't do a whole chapter in a week. In fact, today I think we're only going to do the first three verses of, of that first chapter. Now, as you probably know, um, the revelation of Jesus Christ is the very last book in the Bible. And if you've ever read it, you'll also realise that it is a very difficult book to understand. Um, I don't believe that there are very many who would debate that it is the most difficult book in the entire Bible to understand. It is the favoured haunt of just about every religious nut, cult and those who are certifiably crazy. Uh, false prophets draw out of its words just about any prediction that takes their fancy. Uh, there have been many hours of study and much ink spilt over these pages to produce every kind of crazy interpretation that anybody could possibly contrive. Now, when we read it, there's images of creatures with more heads than what are natural. Uh, we see and encounter a lion that is a lamb. And then there's a dragon that uses his tail like a windscreen wiper to wipe the stars from the sky. Uh, it isn't any wonder that many Christians, and in fact entire churches, never read it. And they certainly never study it. Except for maybe just a few tiny little feel-good snippets that we might find in there. Now... If there is one book in the Bible that the devil doesn't want you to read, it's this one. Satan hates this book. Do you know why? Well, it's because when disciples of Jesus Christ read this book, it reminds us that we're on the winning side and Satan will meet his doom. Do I get an hallelujah with that? Hallelujah. Very good. And Satan will do anything he can to stop us from reading this because he wants us to be scared of him. The only power that Satan can have over us is fear. But when we read Revelation, it reminds us that we're on the winning side. Jesus Christ is victorious. And it, seem, it may seem at times that everything's getting out of control. And sometimes it may seem that Satan is getting the upper hand. But we are reminded here in Revelation that God is always on his throne. And through all of the events of human history, the world is moving through to God's ultimate plan and purpose. And the devil doesn't want you to know this. And so he'll do everything that he can to try and stop you from reading it. He'll do everything that he can to try and stop you from coming to church while we're preaching this series. I've experienced this. Um, in 2008, I was running a men's Bible study. And somebody asked me whether we can read Revelation, study Revelation. And I was a little bit reluctant at first because 
I'm a bit lazy, and I knew how much work it was going to generate for me preparing this Bible study that we're going to do, but eventually I agreed to it. And do you know how far we got? We got to about chapter three. Um, the one person who had asked for it, I actually think he only actually came to one or two of the studies before he fell away and he never came back ever again. Um, but there was another person who turned up. And this person turned up because he had heard that we were studying the book of Revelation and he wanted to be in it. And so he turned up with his tattered exercise book and his tattered Bible, which I think he had spent most of his 70 years writing into these books every note that he could possibly find from every nutcase who'd ever written a word on Revelation. And he was there for this study and he was filled with so much knowledge and I'm using air quotes for those who are listening to the audio here. And at parts he would insist that this particular verse was talking about aliens coming from outer space to do things and and etc, etc. And he just ruined the study. Um, he tried to take over and, and he just ruined the study and we just had to stop. And I'm going to give you the warning now. Satan will do whatever he can to prevent you from reading and studying the book of Revelation. So, if it's all so hard, why are we going to begin studying this book at all? Why did I choose the book of Revelation for our next series? Well, I've been wanting to do it for a while and I was, I was prompted because somebody asked for it as well. But secondly, it's because I know that I will benefit from studying this book and from getting it clear in my head. If you ever want to get, get clear in your head what the Bible is saying, try preparing a message to give to somebody even if you don't actually end up giving the message try preparing a message and that'll really help you to nut out what is Christ, what is the what is god really saying to us here in these words but one of the main reasons i want to share this series with you guys is because revelation is the greatest encouragement for the persecuted church and the greatest preparation for a church that is about to meet persecution. And with the rise of Islam all over the world and with the rise of anti-Christian ideologies, even in our own country, I can see a time, and I don't believe it's terribly far away, when the Christian church in Australia will be persecuted. And we need to be prepared for it. And the fourth reason we're going to be studying it is because I'm a blessing junkie. I love to be blessed. Does anybody else love to be blessed by God? Yeah, I've got eight hands up. Excellent. This is the only book in the Bible that pronounces a blessing on those who read it. And he also a blessing on those who hear it being read. It's also, however, the only book in the Bible that pronounces a curse on those who add to the words or take away from them. So the blessing we find in chapter 1 verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. 
Today, there was a blessing for me. Did you notice that I hogged the reading today instead of sharing it about? Justin noticed? Yeah, I hogged it. Because the second blessing is blessed to those who hear it. And I wanted everybody to be able to hear it today. And we might actually do that while we're in this series. Whoever reads it, read up here from the microphone so everybody can hear it. So we'll all be blessed by the reading and by the hearing. So be prepared. You might get a phone call from me one week saying, would you be able to practice reading this so that you can stand up and and read that Bible reading to everybody? Um, So there is a blessing for me. The NIV translated as blessed is the one who reads the word of this prophecy, but the New Revised Standard Version and the English Standard Version are actually more correct in their translation when they say blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy because that's what the the word read means you know you can read in your head hey but this particular read in the greek is actually talking about reading aloud and of course for somebody to hear it uh, we have to be reading it out we don't have any mind readers here do we no and that's what we're going to be doing here we are going to be reading it aloud and that's exactly what jesus intended The revelation was a revelation given by Jesus Christ to John. And John's task was to write it down so that it could then do a circuit of seven churches in Asia. Now, whenever the Bible talks about Asia, it's not talking about China and so on. It's talking about modern day Turkey. All right. So what we know as Turkey, the Bible knew as Asia. And so it would go to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamon and then on to Thyatira and then on to Sardis and Philadelphia and then finally to Laodicea. And you can see on the map there, it it would actually be taking a circuit. It would be going from one spot to the next to the next and finally getting to Laodicea. And those who hear it will also be blessed. But there's a bit of a condition there. Only if we keep what is written in it. So you and I will be blessed as we study this book, but only if we follow what it says. In addition to this, being the preacher here, I must not ignore the warning of the curse that we find right at the end in chapter 22. It says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Ooh. Oh, it's not only the preacher who's being warned. It's a warning for you as well. Anyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Now, why? Why would anyone want to add to it? Why would anyone want to take away from it? My role as a preacher is with God's help to try and help you to understand what Jesus Christ is telling us in this revelation. And I'm going to be right up front. There are going to be a number of times, I might even use the word many times, during this series, when I will have to honestly use the words, I don't know what this means. Right? We will get to areas in this where I'll say, I just don't know what this means. 
I just have to be honest with you with that. Now, many Bible teachers never want to admit they don't know what the Bible means. And um, they would have you believe that they know exactly what Revelation means. They'll have you believe that they have it all nutted out and that they'll be able to tell you exactly what everything in the Revelation means. Now, I just want to say, if you ever come across somebody like that, please be very wary of them. You see, throughout the last couple of thousand years, many people have claimed to know exactly what it all means. And yet, very rarely do any two of them agree. Even if you just take a look at one of the well-known cults who's actually got a group here in St George, the Jehovah's Witnesses, based on Revelation and Daniel and other scriptures, they have had many, many failures at prophecy. And yet they just don't seem to want, they just won't give up. 1874, 1878, 1881, 1910, 1914, 1918, 1925, 1975, 1984 have all been marked as times of eschatological significance. I, I just used a big word there, didn't I? Eschatological. I, I don't use many big words, do I? Because I don't know many. So when I do know one, I've just got to use it a lot just so that you all think I'm smart. No. Eschatological, if I can find a smaller word to use, I would, but I can't. I don't know of one. So I want to teach you guys a new word. Is that okay? I want you to add this to your vocabulary. Now, the South Africans have just nodded their head, so you English folk, you've got something to live up to. You've got to learn the word eschatological. So the word eschaton means end times. Eschatology is the study of end times. Eschatological means relating to end times. Okay? So, um, eschatological is probably the word that I'll use the most when I use those big words. And we could, for example, we could say that the book of Revelation is an eschatological book. The other way of saying it is, the book of Revelation is seen by most people as being a book that relates to end times. Right? So you understand now why I want to use just one word. Uh, it's eschatological. So have we all added that word to our vocabulary? Can we even say it? Eschatological. Okay. Now the thing is you don't need to be able to say it. You just need to know what it means when I say it. Okay. Now where was I? Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. They have had so many failed predictions surrounding the last day, when the last days begin, when Jesus comes back, and when the world will end. And you know what they do every time they fail? They say, oh, no, no, it didn't really mean that. We were actually meaning Jesus was going to return spiritually. He wasn't actually going to come in the flesh. Well, that isn't what they were saying at the start. And then they say, oh, that's when Jesus started ruling in heaven. Um, not when he was actually going to come back and start ruling now. And so they just keep changing the dates and changing the dates. So please be very wary of anyone who tells you that they've got it all figured out. I'm going to be telling you now, I don't have it all figured out. And, but please don't use that as an excuse not to come to church for the next six months. Um, oh, our preacher's preaching about stuff he doesn't know about. Um, I, hopefully I might be able to help you understand it a little bit. But... Because I don't, I'm willing to admit that I don't have it all figured out, I will not be adding to this book. 
many people are tempted to add to this book so that they can have a feeling that I've got it all worked out. I actually think God wants us to grapple with it as it is and just realise that we don't always have it figured out. But nor will I be taking away from this book. There's not many feel-good, modern feel-good preachers who will venture into the book of Revelation. And if they do, they'll just concentrate on just those little nice bits, maybe a couple of paragraphs. You know, there's a nice one where Jesus will wipe every tear from your eye and there's a nice picture of the, of the throne room of heaven and there's a nice little picture of, of the new heaven and the new earth. But let me warn you now, if you have in your mind a picture of a gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you're going to have that image absolutely ripped to shreds when you hear about the Jesus Christ who is returning in wrath and judgment. And we're not going to be leaving those bits out. Cursed are those who do. Right. Now, I've racked my brain to think, okay, what do I need to include in the introduction, right? You've picked up today's introduction. Um, and what are we going to actually leave for when we get to the passages themselves? I reckon what I should share with you today is the four different categories that most interpretations fall into. Everybody has a different way of interpreting the book of Revelation, but there's really four categories that most of these can be divided into. And I know I promised you that I wasn't going to use a lot of big words, um, but I'm just going to use some now as labels. Now, these ones you don't have to remember, but I just need to use them as labels because labels can be useful. You guys just need to remember the one word. What was it? Eschatological, which means? Relating, relating to end times. Very good. All right, so the four views on how to understand Revelation. The first view is the preterist view. And a preterist believes that the revelation was written about and for John's generation, right? So they believe that John used veiled language to describe events that happened in John's day. So what was John's day like? What was it like for these seven churches that he was writing to? Well, it was pretty tough. Christians were being severely persecuted. And it was an age when Christians were set apart from everybody else because they would not bow down and worship the Roman emperor. Uh, emperor worship was just getting going. And if anybody had a gripe against a Christian, they'd just go, go to the authorities, oh, there's a Christian, you know, he won't worship the emperor. You test him and see. And of course they'd test them and no, I won't worship the emperor. And right, you're in the jail. And we've all heard about Christians being fed to the lions in the Colosseum, hey? This is the time bracket we're talking about. Christians were tortured to try and get them to renounce Jesus and to bow down to Caesar. Their homes and their property would be confiscated. They wouldn't be allowed to join in in the local business areas. There was a great deal of pressure on Christians to succumb, a great deal of pressure on them to, to just, just, just go along with what we're doing as a society. But they wouldn't. And so the preterist view believes that the revelation was written entirely for that generation. And for us to understand what it means, we just have to study 
what it meant for them and get a few principles out of it. They believed that John was just recording what he could see already happening. The second view is what's called the futurist view. You can probably work that one out. Um, the futurists believe that the revelation is a prophecy of things to come. The third view is what's called the historicist view. And the historicist believes that the revelation is a chart of history from Jesus' first coming through to his second coming. And lots of people will work out a, a, a system and say, all right, well, this era, these images belong to this era. In this images belong to this era and this images belong to this, this era and strangely enough it seems that no matter what part of history when they're actually writing their thing they all seem to come to the conclusion that they're living in the very end times and Jesus is just about to return um, so that's a historicist view and the fourth view is what's called the idealist view and the idealist believes that the revelation doesn't, doesn't deal with historical events at all, um, whether they be past, present or future. Rather, they believe that it just deals with principles that are always valid in the Christian experience. All right? So in their view, it doesn't point to any history or historical event at all that's either happened or going to happen. It just contains principles that we can learn to apply in our Christian lives. So, at this point, you're probably wanting me to tell you which of those four is right. Or you may have already decided which is right yourself. Well, I just want to say, I actually believe there's some elements of truth to most of them. For example, verse 19 says, Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are... And those that are to take place after this. All right, so there's no doubt about it. Verse 19 is telling us that it is relating to some of the historical events that happened in John's day. But it's also, because it says those things that are, but it's also telling us that it's looking to the future. He says, also write down those things that are to take place after this. Now, it seems to me that the revelation of Jesus Christ is like much of Old Testament prophecy in that it seems to almost at times have a double fulfilment. Yes, revelation was speaking about events in John's day and shortly thereafter. And the church went through some terrible times of tribulation. But has Jesus come back yet? Is the new heaven and the new earth happened yet? I'm mighty disappointed if it has. I've missed it. And so it's looking forward to the future. But I also believe that if we read Revelation as it is, to read it naturally as it's prevent, presented to us in the Scriptures, I cannot help but come to the understanding that severe persecution is yet to come. This thing called the great tribulation, that means the big trouble. And this great tribulation will be reminiscent of the tribulation experienced by the seven churches in Asia, Turkey. 
The great tribulation will be reminiscent of what Christians are experiencing this very day in North Korea, Somalia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Sudan, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Yemen, Eritrea. By the way, those 10 places are the top 10 places of persecution that's just been released on the um, 2017 Open Doors World Watch List. So it is looking to the past. It is looking to the future. And no matter what era we live in, it does have a great deal to say to us as Christians about our Christian experience and what we should expect being Christians. From the time that Jesus ascended into heaven, we have been living in the last days. And whether it be five days until Jesus returns, or whether it be another 5,000 years until Jesus returns, we are told that as disciples of Jesus, we must be ready. We must be living as if this is the last days. But I'm pretty sure that as we work our way through Revelation, you're going to realise pretty quickly that I believe it's primarily preparing us for the future. Right? So if you want to put a label on me and the message that will be coming, it'll be primarily as a futurist um, type thing. Right. Now, I set myself at the start that um, we would try to cover verses 1 to 3 today. And we've already done most of that. But I actually haven't used the first word. The very first word in the book of Revelation is the one that gives it, gives it its name. In the Greek, it says apocalypsis. Now, you've all heard of apocalyptic events, haven't you? Yeah. Apocalypsis means unveiling. It means revelation. It means that Something was hidden. Something was covered up. But now the curtains have come back and ta-da! Right? That's what Revelation means. Ta-da! The book of Revelation is not meant to hide God's purpose. It's meant to go, ta-da! Here's my purpose. It's being revealed. Now, this doesn't mean that every single event... Um, is going to be revealed. It doesn't mean that we're going to be told when every single thing is going to happen. And I believe that when we do see these events unfolding in history, we're going to have some aha moments. As things begin happening, it will go, ah, that's what that means. I didn't know what that was going to mean. But now that this has happened in history, it all makes sense. And the other thing which is really important to us that it reveals is God is always on his throne. God is always in control. Righto. So if God has given this, ta-da, this revelation, how did it get to us? Well, God gave the revelation to Jesus. Through an angel, Jesus made it known to John. John wrote it down and the revelation got sent to the churches. And here we are today. I'm reading it and you're hearing it. But I do want you to be aware 
that there is one little bit of the revelation that got revealed to John, but not to us. When we get to chapter 10, verse 4, we're going to hear about the seven thunders that sounded. And John was about to write it down. It says this, But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Um, all right, so there is a very small part of this revelation that John heard about and knew, but it's been hidden again for us. So we don't know what that bit is. Now, I was going to incorporate the children's story into this next little bit. Do, you, do your kids want to come on out the front? Righto. I've used a couple of big words already. I'm going to use another big word. Apocalyptic. Can you say that one? Apocalyptic. Now, I can't say it. Apocalyptic. Okay. Righto. The book of Revelation uses what's known as, is what's known as apocalyptic literature. Now, that means it gives its message with pictures. Does anyone here like reading cartoons? Oh, aren't they allowed cartoon books? No. <laughs> I used to love visiting my grandpa because my grandpa, the only books he read were cartoon books. And I'd sit down, I'd read. In my day, it was Goofy and Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and those great cartoons. But they sort of had words and pictures together. Now, are you just listening up there? All right. Apocalyptic means to give a message with images. Now, who here has a computer? Yeah? At home, at home there's a computer, isn't there? Have you noticed that there's things called icons on computers, these little symbols? And you know what they mean, don't you? You don't. Oh, mum and dad hopefully do. All right. What about emoticons? Does anyone do work in emoticons? What's an emoticon? Can anyone tell me? Thank you, Melissa. They're like little smiley faces that you can put on a text message and so on. So you can respond to somebody's um, thingo. Right. All right. Now, I've got here a few pictures. So you're using signs in the Bible. It's using signs to give a message. Can we put up the first picture, please, Mrs. B? Right. Now, for those who are listening to the audio, I'm going to describe it, okay? It's a yellow background with a black silhouette of a lady with a late 60s style short dress and a bob haircut holding the hand of a child. Now, if you saw this sign on the side of the road, would you expect to see just up ahead a lady in fancy dress from the 60s holding the hand of what I think might be a little boy? Would you expect to see that? No. Oh, you would? You wouldn't? What is the sign actually telling us? It means children crossing ahead, okay? Children crossing ahead. All right, next one. Now, once again, for the audio, I'll describe it. It's a yellow background. It's a black silhouette of a car, and the skid marks of the car cross from the left to the right, 
and from the right to the left. Now, is this sign telling us that up ahead we're going to see a, see a car where the wheels have swapped sides mid-stride, right? So it's had a, it's had a tyre rotation mid-transit. Is that, is that what it's telling us? Maybe one of the adults can tell us what it means. Slippery when wet. Yep. Slippery when wet. All right, so if it rains, the road could be a little bit slippery. All right, what about this one? Right, once again for the audio, it's a grey cog or a gear with three spokes and there are two other gears meshing with it. Now, if you saw this symbol on your phone or on your computer, what do you think it means? Does it think it's telling you that there's gears that are meshing here? Or does it telling you, oh, don't get your fingers stuck. That could cut your fingers off if you get your fingers in those gears. What's it telling them, Eli? Settings. Good lad. Good lad. It's telling you settings. All right? All right. So, all of these signs are giving us a message. But they don't, we, we shouldn't expect to see exactly what those signs are a picture of. And... In the book of Revelation, are you kids paying attention? In the book of Revelation, when we, when we read it, we're going to see lots of images and lots of signs. And what they're telling us, they're telling us about things that are going to happen, but it's not necessary. We shouldn't expect to see what, it actually ha- what it's talking about. So, for instance, when Revelation talks about a dragon we're not actually going to see a dragon, all right? It's actually talking about Satan. And when it talks about a lamb that was slain, we're not going to see an actual sheep that's had its throat cut. It's talking about Jesus, okay? So there's going to be lots of pictures that, um, that just tell us what to expect, okay? Right, do you want to go back and sit with your folks and we'll continue? Righto. Now, as we work our way through this book of Revelation and we see all of these signs, some of the signs will be really obvious. It'll just be, oh, yeah, we know what that means. Some of them will be explained within the Revelation itself. Some of them we'll be able to recognise from other parts of the Bible where those signs have been used before. But some of the signs we just won't know what they mean. We can have a bit of a guess, but we don't really know what they mean. However, I reckon when the time comes, we might have a bit better idea. Righto, now, I think we've gone far enough for today. Um, For those who care, we're going on holidays after today. Robert and I are going to be away for a couple of weeks. We're off to Maroochydore and um, we'll be in the surf, thinking of you guys back here with the heat. Um, yes, we'll be very concerned for you. Um, but I was thinking that, all right, because we're about to go on holidays, I'd better not start this new series when we're just about to go away. It'd be better just to have a one-message fill-in until we get back. And then I thought, no, 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 no. Let's give the intro, and then that'll give you all a chance to read the book of Revelation before we get back. How does that sound? Right? Now... So there's a bit of homework for you, and I'd encourage you, if you could read it, to do so. Um, Either read it yourself, or read it together with your husband or your wife, or maybe as a family you might be able to read it. 
And it's not that hard uh, to, to read it. Uh, it's a bit harder to understand it. But it might, by reading it, might start to formulate a few questions in your mind of, okay, I'm not sure what this means. I'll be very interested to hear that when it happens. Now, it's 22 chapters. So if you just read one chapter a day, by the time we're back for the next message in three weeks' time or whatever, um, you should have it done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that you reveal to us who you are and your plan and your purpose for now, for the future, and for the end of this earth. Lord, we eagerly await the day that Jesus returns. Lord, I pray that as we read this book and as we study this book of Revelation, Lord, I ask that you would speak to us through these words, that you would do what it is intended to reveal yourself to us, to reveal your future to us. Lord, let it not be hidden. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would enable us to, to know what you are saying to us through this series. In Jesus' name, amen.